0: Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word here. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. she bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen, and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up, and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands. And let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. A virtuous woman reflects the glories of the God who made her. In light of of the highly important and influential roles that God has ordained for women. They have the potential for doing enormous good or enormous evil. As our passage says in verse 12, she will do him, her husband, good and not evil all the days of her life. We have surveyed some of the women found in Scripture the last uh, few weeks, and we have seen examples of both. Women that did wonderful, glorious, God-honoring things that affected all around them, that even changed history. And we have seen the reverse of that as well. Women who have done monstrous things wicked, vile, and corrupt things who, too, have changed history. By woman, sin entered into history. By woman, the Savior from sin entered history. Now, let me make one clarification to that last statement. When I say, by sin, By woman, sin entered history. Of course, the word of God credits Adam with being the uh, conduit through which sin entered mankind. And that is true. He was our covenant, our federal head. He was our representative. And in his fall, we have all become sinners. But Eve was, as Paul says, in the sin. She was deceived. Hers was not the sin of going into it with her eyes wide open as did Adam. Nevertheless, she was in the sin. And that is the light in which I cast that sentence by woman's sin entered into history. Certainly not saying that it entered through her and not through man. Now, this brings us to the fifth part of her price is far above rubies. And this will be the last part of this particular uh, title in our study. But it is far from being the last of our studies in virtuous womanhood. This evening, we want to take up the notion that we have mentioned several times. We gave the first and most intensive part of our study, to um, the heading that a virtuous woman is priceless because of what she is, because of what she is, and that brings us tonight finally to a virtuous woman is priceless because of what she does. And in those headings, we're simply following uh, the, the the way this portion of uh, these scriptures unfold. We see a virtuous woman, and this speaks of what she is. This speaks of her character. And then, <clears throat> beginning in verse uh, 12, uh, for quite a number of verses, we see all the things that she does. And it's not our purpose this evening to take all of these things and uh, put them under the microscope and, and do an intensive study of each of these particular type of acts that she does. Again, we want to take something of a bird's eye view and we want to cull the, the primary characteristics of these things that she does. A a virtuous woman is something and she does something. She does these things because of what she is. They should flow from that. And we've now considered for several messages that a virtuous woman is priceless because of what she is. And we've looked at several characteristics that are precious The woman here described is a rare and precious jewel because of her faith in the living God. That is why she does the things she does. She is spiritually alive by God's Spirit, and she lives in the fear of God. Therefore, her life bears fruit, and it is said here, Before us, it should be clear from our studies thus far, I've I've been purposefully repetitive on this particular point because I do want it to sink in that a woman's deeds as far as being virtuous, as far as being honoring to the living God and encouraging ultimately in the biblical sense, to her family, these things should flow because she is what she is. She lives from the inside out. She does not become excellent by doing good things. She shows the excellence, strength, and nobility that God has wrought in her by His Spirit And his holy word. The fruit on her vine, so to speak, is set before us in the passage that we will consider this evening. And it flows from the eternal life that is already hers. Having said that, before we launch into these particular items here. Before we survey the activities in in which she so industriously engages, we should once again remind ourselves of the warning issued when we began this study. Some of you were not with us when we did. And uh, for that reason, and the fact that I think all of us need to be reminded of this, uh, it is important to review a warning. And that is this. This passage can be, and unfortunately often is, abused both by men and women. And we don't want to be abusers of the word of God. First of all, this passage can be abused by men. Husbands, don't use this passage to beat your wife with, or to discourage her. Don't make her despise the very Word of God because you abuse her with it. And it happens. This is womanhood that can only be accomplished by Faith in Christ, the light of God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit, and fervent prayer. Encourage and guide your wives to these principles by your Christ-like headship and love. This isn't. It is It is an absolutely perfect rule. And to take it and to, and to jam it up against her crookedness every day, demanding that she conform is not the way God deals with us. He does call us to conform. Absolutely. But every one of us knows that if the Lord were to brutally hold forth before us His Word, whipping us into submission day by day, we would not find it a joy to serve him. And your wives will not find it a joy to be under your headship if the word of God becomes a whip with which to flog them into submission rather than a blessed standard by which she desires to conform and you help her in that desire. Secondly, women can abuse this as well. Sisters, don't drive yourselves by fleshly guilt in an attempt to be superwoman. Don't, don't drive yourselves by fleshly guilt in an attempt to be superwoman. Women with perfectionist tendencies or who have extremely tender consciences easily fall prey to this error. At the same time, some women see this lofty ideal and conclude that there's no point in attempting to emulate a standard so high. Both of those are very serious errors. So we want to consider these things. And we want them pressed into our hearts and minds by the Spirit of God. And we want to encourage and admonish and even when necessary, reprove and rebuke with this passage graciously and according to the Word of God. Uh, Excuse me. According to the Spirit's guidance, it is the Word of God and according to the Spirit's guidance. So, we do need to recognize this is a glorious ideal. Brethren, and I say especially to you men, every one of us knows that all Christians have the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ as our daily example of who and what we ought to be. Not one of us on our very best days, approaches that standard the way we desire. So it is vital that we understand as our wives, as we see our wives striving to walk in these things, that we be careful to apply to them this very lofty ideal in a way (coughs) that is wise without compromising the truth. See, the the standard here is so high that it has actually led uh, some to believe that that this uh, Proverbs 31, 10-31 is actually not a guide or a paradigm for biblical womanhood, but actually a personification of wisdom. Now, you might say, now what liberal thinks that? I'd be happy to give you a very long list of some of our very revered Uh, fathers of the past who have taken this very notion. One modern writer says, quote, The woman here presented is a wealthy aristocrat who runs a household estate with servants and conducts business affairs, real estate, vineyards, and merchandise, domestic affairs, and charity. It would be quite a task for any woman to emulate this pattern. Close quote. Just to give an example, how many of you sisters have maidens at your beck and call every day? How many of you have maids? Raise your hand. Are we going to say that the only way that you can be this woman then is that you must have a maid? Now, ladies, I don't want to be planting wicked thoughts in your mind to press your husband with. But the point is that there are things in the passage that don't necessarily apply to all of the providences of all of God's dear daughters in the faith. And we must recognize uh, in in our day, there are many that, that, that don't live simply in the prosperity that the woman of this passage lives in. So we've got to be, as with all of God's word, careful, thoughtful and gracious wise in the way we apply what is found herein. That's not to fudge on any of the truths that we need to apply to our hearts. I'm not joining the rank of Scripture waterer downers. I'm simply saying very often we don't come to this this passage on our knees and really think through the implications of all that's being said. And it is important for us to do so. Others, such as the great John Gill, believe that this passage is talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't apply it to women. He says, quote, But be this as it will, the description is drawn up to such a pitch and wrote in such strong lines as cannot agree with any of the daughters of fallen Adam, literally understood. For though some parts of the description may meet in some, and others in others, yet not all in one. Understand what he's saying? He's saying the standard is ratcheted up so high here. We may find these truths, uh, certain of these truths in in, in a sister here, and, and here, and there, but we're not going to find all of this imperfection in any woman. After, and brethren, Gill is no liberal. After spending much time in meditating on these things, he says, "Wherefore the mystical and spiritual sense of the whole must be sought after." <laughs> he says, "We can't look, we can't look to literal women in this thing. We have to look to the Church of Jesus Christ." And while I hesitate to disagree with a man of such stature and wisdom, I think we cannot accept his position, finally, as the last word on the passage. Now, rather, I think that we must see that there is truth in all of these positions. Very often, as I have said we tend to make things either or that are never intended to be either or. They are both and. As we have seen, woman represents wisdom in Proverbs. And there are numerous passages all the way through its glorious 31 chapters that represent women as wisdom Or in very favorable light. This is inspired of the Holy Ghost. And there's no question, as we have pointed to in an earlier message, that here the woman is unquestionably a personification of wisdom. Everything that she does here drips with holy wisdom. But we don't want to stop there. And clearly, woman represents the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul plainly teaches, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Once again, inspired of the Holy Spirit, woman, a bride, is held forth as the, the, the symbol of the glorious bride of Jesus Christ. Now, what woman in and of herself, what regenerate woman can perfectly personify the finally perfected church of the Lord Jesus Christ? No one on earth. But there's no question that woman symbolizes the church of Jesus Christ. And Gill, if you, if you read his thoughts on it, is quite ingenious and, uh, and filled with wonderful, wonderful truths about the, 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 the church uh, in this particular passage. Uh, it's amazing how he sees the ordinances of Christ and all of these things done and the compassion and the charity and the mercy of the Lord Jesus in his people But we can't stop there. We can't stop there. Probably the safest approach is to recognize that the woman set before us reflects all of the things said about wisdom in Proverbs. First, because she is a woman born of God's Spirit and filled with His wisdom. Christ dwells In women such as these, by the power of His Spirit, and bears the fruit of wisdom portrayed before us here. And if this is true, spiritualizing this passage as the church seems obvious. Who is the virtuous woman for Christ? not the Lord Jesus Christ seek a bride? Who is it? It is us. It is we. And that's hard to imagine, is it not? When we look at our weaknesses and our failings, that we one day will truly, finally, be the spotless bride of Christ. Brethren, we are in justification now. And the Lord is moving us toward that in sanctification. The answer truly is that the church cleansed filled by the Spirit of Christ and perfected at His return is seen typically in this particular passage. But to stop with either one of those then leaves us without practical application in many, many ways. And I do believe, after prayer and study, that while these other aspects are there and profitable and should not be neglected or rejected, ultimately, it does speak to women as to what they should be as the children of God. Our safeguard must be careful study. Second, wise Application provoked by Christ's gracious love for us. Careful study, application of God's word, and that provoked by Christ's gracious love for us. While no woman can perfectly be all of these things, no Christian can perfectly be all of the things in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, well, he's saying all these negative things and saying all these negative things and saying all these negative things, and so he's going to discourage anybody from even attempting to be these things. No, not if you're listening carefully. What I am saying, brethren, is that this passage can, has been, and is abused. And we must not be among those who partake in that abuse. And that means then with careful study, prayerful and wise application of the Word of God provoked by Christ's gracious love for us, our beloved sisters can press on to the ideals set before them here as each and every one of us as Christians press on daily to the commands set before us in the Word of God. And men you must wisely, graciously, firmly guide your dear wives or your daughters as you are rearing them in the name of Christ, according to this passage. So, having covered a little extra ground there, we want then to come to the labors of this woman. We begin by looking at the the variety of her labors. The variety of her labors. Clearly, as we read this passage, we see a household that requires supervision. This is the domain in which a virtuous woman is to exercise the authority the Lord has delegated her as her husband's help. And she does have authority. Paul says, quote, in 1 Timothy 5.14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. Guide the house. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. One of the ways that they are not to give the adversary any ground by which to... Reproach The truth of the Lord Jesus Christ is in there guiding the house. Now, does this mean in the place of the husband? Of course not. Does it mean being equal, so to speak, with the husband? Well, it depends on how you mean that. <clears throat> Do we all stand equally before the Word of God? Well, of course. The Word of God is to be applied equally to all of us. Are we equal? No, men and women are not the same thing. And they don't have the same roles. They're not intended to to be compared with the terminology of equality. The Scriptures never do that. That has arisen out of the battle in our day and over feminism. Unfortunately, so much of the church has, has caved in or entirely bought feministic thinking that it has begun to speak in a way that's utterly unbiblical the whole t- and the whole time doing that, spouting out Bible verses. But a woman is to guide the home. And the word there actually has the idea of having domain. Dominion in the house. What does that mean? That means along with her husband, she has a role given to her by the living God. And we see it played out all through the Proverbs where we have children being admonished to obey not only the guidance of their fathers, but the commands of their mothers. What commands are those? Those are the commands of the living God and the things she rears them with that come from the Word of God. She has a place of authority in administering God's Word in her home. And she has a domain over which she has been given a guidance. When the father is out in the field or doing whatever labors God gives him to do, who's at home watching your 13 children? Who's overseeing them? Who is guiding them? Who is giving them the discipline that they need? Who is informing them of what God says and what they should be doing? It is your beloved wife. As the one laboring away in that kitchen, she has every right to say, okay, over here, bring this this to me. You, over there, take this. (laughs) She's got a place. She has a dominion that God has given her. And may she use it with great wisdom to the glory of Christ. Alexis de Tocqueville, a French philosopher who wrote a profound study of colonial American life called Democracy in America, said this, quote, I have no hesitation in saying that although the American woman never leaves her domestic sphere and is in some respects very dependent within it, nowhere does she enjoy a higher station. And if anyone asks me what I think the chief cause of the extraordinary prosperity and growing power of this nation, I should answer that it is due to the superiority of their women. Close quote. That's an extraordinary quote. Brethren, that's an amazing observation. But stop and think of the troubles that we're facing in our nation now. Why have we come to this place? Why are men and women at such disparate uh, relationships. It is because they've lost the very thing that he observed. He says, <clears throat> although, the, although the American woman never leaves her domestic sphere. What's he, what's he telling us? That in that day, he really believed that the backbone and, and, and part of the very strength and fiber of this nation that made it the extraordinary and prosperous nation that it was, was mothers in the home. And that's the very thing being warred against in the government schools today. And even more tragically, in many churches. I mean, some of the biggest names right now in evangelicalism are urging and encouraging and blessing our young women to go off into war. This is reprehensible. They have a domain. And it's not on the battlefield as such. And what made our nation great in the eyes of one French philosopher was the fact that there were women who labored in their domestic roles? Satan has been warring against that role, and now so-called I- I can't, uh, professing professing believers attack this notion fiercely. It is unbelievable. Never forget, Paul says, "Mary, bear children, guide the house." I will never forget the impact a statement my father made had on me. <clears throat> he <clears throat> he and I were talking about a, a governor's race in Louisiana. And it was one of the early races, one of the first times that we had a woman running for governor. And there were, as usual, numerous candidates in Louisiana. And I said to my dad, well, who, who are you going to vote for? He said, well, thinking about voting for that woman. And knowing my dad as I did, this was something of a, a shocking statement. My father did not hold Christian principles but he had never held that, that, that women ought to be in, in public office the way they are now. And I said, well, why, why, why that? Why, why do you think uh, you ought to vote for her? He said, well, <clears throat> most women know how to run a house And most men don't know anything about it. And I'd rather have someone in office that knows how to handle the money and knows how to guide the house. I thought those were stunning words. First of all, because of its utter shame for men. But the fact that he had sat and after being a man's man for years said, if we're going to have someone running the state, we ought to have someone who knows how to handle it. Most of the men I know don't know how. Maybe this woman will run it well. Now, what are we pointing to? Is, are we you know, just want to get into political issues tonight or our opinions of these things? No. The point is that God has given women a domain. Why is it that they would be capable of, of, of running a state? <laughs> because God has given them extraordinary gifts for the home. He has given them administrative skills. He has given them wisdom. He has given them ability to think and to organize. And we see this laid out in wisdom before us in the very verses of God's Word here. So let's plunge into them. Beginning in verse 13, it says, she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Now, what I want to do is I want to go through uh, a number of verses and I want you to take note of the verbs. Let's look at the verbs about this woman. And there in verse 13, she seeketh and she worketh and she worketh. All right. And number 14 says she is like a merchant ship. She bringeth, she bringeth her food from afar. Verse 15, she riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Verse 16, she considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planted or planteth a vineyard She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor and she reacheth forth her hands To the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Now, there isn't a verb directly applicable to her uh, as far as an action verb there, but it says she's not afraid. Why isn't she afraid? Well, her household is clothed. How is it that they got clothed? And of course, it is by her action. They are clothed by her action. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She, verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing. and She shall rejoice in time to come. Now, Finally, uh, verse uh, twenty-six uh, and twenty-seven says, "She openeth, she openeth her mouth with wisdom." Verse twenty-seven, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Now, the first thing to notice is that the vast majority of these verbs are action verbs. They're action. She is a woman of holy activity she is a woman of industry she's not just sitting around with her with her feet up eating bonbons and watching the soaps notice she's not what you would call a woman of leisure she's full of holy industry. She's full of holy work. In verse 13, it says <clears throat> when she seeks that uh, this, this word means to seek with care. She's careful. She seeks wool and flax. The, the notion here is she doesn't just go out and buy for the sake of buying. She doesn't just go out and buy because of fanciness and things like that. She goes out to carefully look for quality because this is all going to be used for the well-being of others. Attached to this verb is is the idea, as we read through the context, that she seeks with care because she is a woman of, of care and compassion. This is holy activity and industry. The word "work" there in verse thirteen that means and has the adverb "willingly." She's a willing worker. She doesn't have to be forced into it with guilt or or pressure. She willingly works. She wants to work. Her heart drives her to work. She works willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. This is a wonderful picture here. She, she goes to great lengths to provide her household with what it needs. She goes to find food for her home. And it is clear that she is carefully seeking the right kinds of food. She's not simply looking for filler for their stomachs, but that which is good for them. I suppose if if we really wanted to draw out the illustration with with a, a modern picture, since you and I don't wait for merchant ships to come in nowadays, we might say she's not unlike the Walmart 18 wheelers. They're always on the road bringing the stuff, right? Isn't that what they do? All day, all night. Uh, When when we were coming back after the hurricane, it it utterly worked its uh, unbelievable destruction through our area. Uh, As we were coming back, uh, two days after the the storm, uh, Myra and I were struck by how many Walmart trucks passed us on the way down. They were doing everything they could to get... Stuff down here, and uh, and to have the stuff there uh, available for people. And this is the idea. She she is constantly. Isn't something she does just once in a while? She's always about bringing in this food, this sustenance, what her family needs. She's like those merchant ships. That's a little more romantic than the eighteen wheeler, no doubt. But uh, the idea is still the same. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household. She is compassionate. She works. She seeks. She rises. I know some of you are probably happy that the Lord did not put a specific time on the clock here that said, when she gets up, that's different with our various sisters here. But the point, regardless of where the hands on the clock are, is that the hands of her heart are what ultimately lift her up out of the bed so that she provides for those in her home. She cares and she is a provider. That's a popular word today, but it goes back to this very notion. She rises while it is yet night, gives meat to her household. That, the word meat there means food. And a portion to her maidens. She's up and taking care of those that are going to be laboring for her in the home. <clears throat> we see a domestic sphere here. That's very important. Then it goes on to say, she considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She considers. The word here, considers, means uh, to ponder, to plan, to have something in mind. In other words, a virtuous woman, an excellent wife, is a woman who plans. She thinks about what's going on, she's not letting everything just happen just kind of waiting for providence to walk in through the door and then determine what to do after something's staring her in the face. No, she's thinking. She's thinking about... And and this this applies to all of what's said about her thus far. Quite obviously, you don't go seeking wool and flax unless you've been educated about wool and flax. She knows something about the market. See, one of the uh, nasty... Uh, charges that the feminists like to lay against uh, knuckle-dragging Christians is that, you know, all we want is uh, all of the, 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 the women-hating, oinking men, all we really want is for women to just always be in the kitchen, barefoot, and pregnant. And they, they like to throw that around. But they, they, well, we do like pregnancy. We like it a lot. God likes it. God not only endorses it, He promotes it. He gives it. Pregnancy is a wonderful thing. And yes, we love that our wives be carrying children to be reared in the name of Jesus Christ. We love that. But, but the notion with all of that is just dumb, stupid baby makers. And that's the furthest thing from this, this passage. That is the furthest thing. From this passage this is a woman who thinks this is a woman who is well educated she's not only educated in domestic things as we're going to see in the, in the weeks ahead that this woman is educated in in industry she's educated in uh, finance she understands finance she understands commercial things she's into realty in here My point is that the virtuous woman thinks there, there's there been kind of a backlash in some Christian circles that because so many women are leaving their homes and going out and getting degrees and just becoming career women, that, that the, the answer to that is no education for women and simply to teach them how to sew, and, and that's all they need to know, and how to cook dinner. Brethren, you can't find that in this passage; it isn't there. The woman is educated. Now, we'll talk certainly about what kind of education. Uh, we're not necessarily—I'm not promoting by that—that that, uh, you know—that the world is in need of 50,000 more women marine biologists. You not know what I'm saying what I'm saying is that, that the woman, in harmony with her gift, gifts and with the role that God has given her, is gloriously brought to use her mind, to be educated in things that she needs to know, to bring her gifts to a razor's edge and to be able to use them well. There's no profit in ignorant women. She considers. She plans. She schedules. And she buys that field. She's shrewd. She understands business. This doesn't drop on you out of a tree. She understands some things here. It is likely she has heard and watched her father. Brothers, from others, has learned many things. But she considers, she buys, and with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. The fruit of her hands is the money, the proceeds she makes from her real estate deal. She buys the property. Well quite obviously, she has to be involved here in a transaction. She knows how to deal with people. She buys it, the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. And that's also, this isn't just a lovely picture of, oh, she made some nice grapes. Vineyards were money-making businesses. She is a blessing in her home to her husband because of her industry, her knowledge, and the way she uses the gifts that God has given her. She is far from being an ignorant baby factory. She's a woman to be admired in so many ways. Well, <clears throat> We're not going to get through all of these this evening and we're going to look at these in more detail. No doubt some of the things I'm saying will raise some questions in your mind. Good, that's what I wanted to do because we will take these into greater detail later on and try to hammer them out and to see how this works in our lives today. But again, exactly what we're pointing out is that the woman here is a woman of thought, of care, of compassion, of industry. And all of these things point to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things point to God Himself. It says, she works. The Lord Jesus Christ said, my father worketh and I work. And it is a continuous verb. It's the same thing here. She's always working. She's reflecting her maker. God works and she works. God is praised in the scripture because of his works. What does verse 31 say? Let her own works praise her in the gates. She reflects the glories of her God. She is wise. Because he who has made wisdom unto us dwells within her and she knows the word of God and she applies the things that she knows. According to God's word. By the spirit and his wisdom. And because of that, her husband praises her and her children praise and bless her. She is part of her husband's reputation. He's well known in the gates here. And one of the reasons is because of the wonderful, glorious, active wife that he has. She is compassionate. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I have compassion upon them." The disciples were tired and weary and the Lord had been healing and doing miracles for people all day long. And the disciples were worn out and they were ready for everybody to go home so that they could take a break. And the Lord Jesus said, No, I have compassion on them. And brethren, this is what we see flowing in front of us. The glorious compassion of our beloved Savior This is what drives her to rise up and to care for those in her home. The Lord Jesus Christ, our God in heaven, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, if they are anything, they are merciful. What do we depend on from our God? What do we cry out for? What do we need day in and day out? We need the mercy of God. And yet, what do we see verse after verse after verse in the excellent woman? We see mercy. She's driven by mercy. Look, it says in verse 20, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Brethren, where did the Lord Jesus Christ spend so much of His time among the poor? Who did He minister to? To the needy. The virtuous woman reflects the God who made her. The God who decreed and planned the glories of history is reflected in the fact that she's a woman who plans and schedules and works things out. Well, I need to stop here. I'd really like not to, but we we need to stop. But finally, what I want to say about all of these things is that we see in her self-sacrifice, self-sacrifice. All of these things point to a life given for the well-being of others. Every man in here, do you not have precious and fond memories of a mother who would get up in the middle of the night while you were vomiting, and hold you, change you, clean you up, and you fell down, and you you skinned your knee, or bruised or cut yourself. Whose self-sacrifice? Who gave herself that you would be encouraged, healed, cleaned up? Who poured in the balm? Was it not a woman who was self-sacrificing? A mother, a blessed one. Grandmother, brother, do we not see Christ? Christ gave of Himself for His people. And with every action that we see here, we're not to be simply caught up in the cleverness and the wisdom and the education. What should grip us is that here, set before us, are the glories of our Redeemer flowing in a life who's been given a realm, a domain, and who is actively pursuing it as she ought. The Lord Jesus Christ came and did exactly what the Father gave Him to do. He had a role and He did it. And because of that, we have a Savior. And the whole world has profited. Do we not see the same type of, Of course, in a smaller form coming through the filter of sinful flesh. But do we not see in a virtuous woman the same thing? When she walks where the Father has commanded her and when she does and gives of herself as our Lord, do we not see great good all around? Remember, the Tocqueville said, I do not hesitate to say that that nation that great nation its prosperity is because of the superiority of its women and ultimately my friend lying at the heart of that because in their domain which was a biblical christian domain doesn't mean all the women were christian doesn't mean all of them had any love for the lord but the world view that western idea is biblical down to its very core. May the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted in the women <clears throat> that pursue after him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we have before us so many things to consider. What a very rich passage we have. <clears throat> But Lord, if one of us in this room, one man in this room has had a faithful mother, if one man in this room has had a blessed wife, praise should flow from his mouth every day. Oh, may we thank God. For the godly grandmothers or godly mothers, godly wives, godly sisters, godly daughters that the Lord grants us. Father, I pray for each of these blessed women in this assembly and those who get this tape. Lord, as they look at the lofty ideals contained. In this passage, oh, Father, may their hearts not be discouraged. May they not be vaunted up with pride. Lord, may they see a humble and blessed Savior manifested in humble, blessed women. Father, I pray that You would encourage and strengthen all of these dear sisters, that You would grant them strength, honor, dignity, and all that is set before us here. Lord, I do pray that You will raise up a generation of women who once again, of which it may be said, there is a great nation. One of the things that makes it great is the superiority of its women. Those who walk with Jesus Christ.
1: And we pray it in thy holy name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books.